Did I go quiet then? You did. And always blissful, always peaceful in my world. Oh, wow. So... <laughs> Hello and welcome back to the Stadio Podcast from Ringer FC. I'm Mr. Kwonga. I'm Ryan Hun. Ryan, how are you doing? Hello. Sorry, better late than never. Don't worry about it. Keep the people waiting. Get some anticipation. God, yeah. Sorry, everyone. Um, basically, we had some audio gremlins that we only noticed when I went to edit and uh, it was unlistenable, unfortunately. So we had to do a, pre- uh, a re-record and that's why we are late this week. Sorry, everyone. My fault. How are you? Uh, good. Slightly. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Well, I'm good, but not ideal, I think is fair to say. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I think we should maybe start just by yeah, saying. Yeah, let's talk about this. Yeah, let's talk about it. We hope everyone's doing okay. Uh, Wednesday was something that I don't think many of us have seen in our lifetime, especially not in the country that it happened in. And also... I think that coming at, you know, at the beginning of the year after the year that has just been and the trauma that so many people have gone through throughout that year, it was just a really jarring way to start a new year. For those of you who were aware of us before we joined The Ringer, we would often, we've always talked politics and talked life and uh, racism and equality and all kinds of stuff. Um, we understand that a lot of people don't want that from their sports podcasts. We actually had a, a, a review recently that someone didn't like it anymore because we reiterated progressive viewpoints on the podcast. But to us, they don't really seem that progressive. They just seem pretty bog standard, I think. Yeah. We were actually WhatsApping when the stuff was unfolding Wednesday evening our time. And neither of us really felt like actually doing a podcast, I don't think. Or maybe it was more me. I just felt that football felt completely unimportant in, in the circumstances. But then actually, having slept on it, we thought that actually it's kind of more important than ever in a way because it's actually something collectively that we share and love, mm. even though sometimes it drives us mad. Yeah. Yeah, but we wanted to address it at the top of the show without maybe going too much into it. I want to say something very quickly about this, um, to be honest. Some people go, oh, we need to separate sport and politics. We need to, but it seems to me like it's never the right time to talk about this stuff. Mm. When people warned what might happen, people called them hysterical. And when they said, we told you this would happen, people called them smug. And I thought to myself, was the problem with the people giving the warning or the fact that people just didn't want to hear the bad news? And one attitude I'm seeing that really worries me, Ryan, I'm seeing you know, a lot of people, prominent commentators, and also people I know personally, professionally going, oh, I just want things to kind of move on and get back to a place of normality. Was like, well, children were separated from their families and put in cages. It wasn't very normal for them. Mm-hmm. Now, if you want to just not pay attention to that, then fine. But by no means call it normal, because it's not normal. It never will be. I'm going to sound very harsh here, Ryan, but I think it's important to say it. Some will call me dramatic for saying this, but there was no way of telling people what was coming. And I think a lot about the 1930s, you know, I'm someone that obviously like yourself, I read, you know, a bit of fiction, I read a bit of history and all the rest of it. And all I can think is this, there is a point in the 1930s where a lot of people were like, please take this really seriously because if it goes bad, a lot of people are going to die and people wouldn't listen to them. And then very, very bad things happened in the 1930s in particular to Jewish people. And I just wonder, Ryan, and I want to say this in the podcast very quickly before we move on to the next bit, it's going to be fun. But just now I want to say something which is not fun at all, which is why is it so hard to get people to listen until it's too late? Why is it so hard? And that, that is the thing, because if you hear an ambulance go down the street, you know things are serious is happening, right? You hear a siren, you know something serious is happening. But for some reason, when people warn, their voices do not have the impact or the severity of sirens. Why does it always have to take so long? It's complacency and exceptionalism. And it's something that I think has been apparent especially in the US and the UK post second world war really mm. i think that our parents generations were raised in the shadow of a very recent war yeah so the reminders were right there yeah they yeah. they'd lived through that their mm. parents 
Yeah. I mean, a lot of the people who enable people like this, who cause this, because it comes from the top and it's like a trickle down, right? Yeah. It's a game to them. Yeah. 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 And therefore they never think that we'll actually ever go this far. Yeah. Because it's like, no, 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 you are no different to the people that you pretend you are very, very far removed from. Yes. There is no evidence now that, that suggests anything other than that. That's right. That's right. You know, a lot of people are realizing that actually, yeah, the bad shit that people were talking about that would happen will happen. Yeah. Yeah. And so on that note, we do some admin. <laughs> Let's do it. Let's do it. No, well said. Listen, I co-sign all of that. Well said, my man. Well said. Get your podcast. You could do both. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Get your podcast and do both. No doubt. Quickly, I'd just like to say thanks to everyone who um, sent me some very kind wishes. I've pretty much recovered from my dodgy tonsils. I get it pretty much every year. It's grim. I actually went to the doctors a few years ago when I had tonsillitis again. I was like, can you please take them out? And they were just like, mm, not now. It's not worth it. Oh, no. I was like, oh, no. Am I that age already where people are just like, nah, you just got to live with this now. Oh, wow. Like, wild. It's like when uh, I, I, had a, I had a knee. Oh, God, this is. I had, I had a knee injury, a football knee injury. What a cliche. A few years ago. And it was just after I moved to Germany. And I went to see a doctor when I was back in the UK because I was still getting problems with it. And the doctor just said, how old are you? And you still playing football how often? Oh my goodness, and, said, no. and he just said, yeah, that's going to happen. <laughs> oh my goodness. You know, I knew it was time to stop playing football when my knees, <clears throat> you know that scotch tape, the really strong scotch tape? You're talking like gaffer tape? Yeah, and it feels like your kneecaps, oh every God, time I was God. running, it felt like your kneecaps were like having the scotch, like they're being ripped off with gaffer tape. Oh God, oh, oh, that took a turn. That's when I stopped playing, yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, well, anyway, um, you know, uh, we hope everyone How does is that That's an escalation oh, for you. Jesus, ah, I thought ah. we were going up to the fun stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Take the list on a journey. <laughs> yeah, but they've been on a journey this week. We don't want to go <laughs> around. That's the time to apply pressure. You're in no state to storm any building. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> wow. Anyway. We do hope everyone's doing okay. Today we're going to do a little bit of a mailbag and talk about some of the games that happened midweek. There were games and there were some good games actually on Wednesday. Um, so we'll talk about those. And in the meantime, if you want to check the ringer.com forward slash soccer, please do so. Uh, Righty's house on Wednesday was really good. Musa was on there with Righty. I had to sit that one out, unfortunately. Great fun, man. Great fun. Super good. The two elder statesmen of the Righty's house crew. The uncles. Laying down the law. <laughs> In my day. No doubt. Exactly. <laughs> my day, you, my day. Young bloods, young bloods. Uh, we'll get into some football after this. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. All right, man. Do you mind if I kick off with an email? Because we had a really interesting email from Nathan Cooper. Let's do it. It says, hi, both. Hope you're well. Hope you're well too, Nathan. I've been thinking about the discussion around Solskjaer and Lampard and wondering, do you think we think of a manager's ability as fixed in a way that we'd never do with a player? In terms of managerial experience, they're equivalent to players in their early 20s, Lampard especially. 
but we tend to talk about how Lampard is this or Arteta is this without considering how they might develop in the next five years. Perhaps the role is too influential at big clubs to be allowed time to develop. But I think it's interesting that most of the discussion around, for example, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is, is he the best person for Manchester United? And never is he a better manager now than when he took over. I'd say he must be. Or how good he could become. Anyway, it struck me as an interesting blind spot in football discussions, a lesser recognised aspect of giving a manager time which normally refers to them gelling the squad and embedding tactics. On the other side of that, a sacking can sometimes be the making of a manager too. See Brendan Rodgers at Reading. All the best and hope 2021 brings you both lots of joy. Thanks, Nathan. And to you. I think this is a really interesting question. I think it's an amazing question. Mm. So first of all, thank you, Nathan. It's an amazing question because it's framed a lot around players that become managers as well. Not exclusively, but there's a big aspect of this, is which, you know, which is how a lot of players who do their badges kind of get thrust in at big clubs, which is kind of the trend now to a certain extent. And what I would say is, first of all, I think Nathan's right. I think that when I talk, for example, about players like Jadon Sancho, I'll be like, or Raheem Sterling before that, I'll be like, their peak is nowhere in sight. And it's not really language I use to talk about managers, to be honest. Mm. What I would say is when I'm assessing managers, you know, in particular, when a player takes charge of a club, an expert takes charge of a club, there's always in the first few months of that player taking charge, there's some tactical thing they do that's like, oh, that's quite interesting. That person's got something about them. You know, you might say with Arteta, it was the kind of goal that Arsenal would score, the kind of counterattack playing up the back. There was that sort of sign that Arteta's got something about him. With Solskjaer, the example I always use is when he made Lingard play as force nine, which was generally mm. quite an innovative thing. You could argue, we'll discuss later to an extent, Pirlo's victory over AC or Zidane, you know, the, the 3-0 over Atleti in the league, where it was really a tactical triumph, not just a kind of like knockout, knockout triumph. And I think that's right. I think that every manager shows these glimpses and in a different era, you know, before the age of 24-hour football coverage, you know, and social media, where the pressure, the external pressure to not persist with the manager became so intense that the kind of average survival time in a job basically halved over about 15 years. In a different era, these, these managers are given more time to grow. And I think that the reason we judge managers, to Nathan's point, the reason we judge managers so harshly and so quickly is almost to let ourselves off the hook Mm. that we don't have to face the fact that it is a hired fire profession that is a bit too impatient. It is a bit too impatient with managers who are still coming of age. Yeah, I mean, I, th I think a really good example of someone who maybe fits into what Nathan's talking about is Steven Gerrard. Right, right. Steven Gerrard feels to me like he's obviously progressing, learning, developing as a manager, doing a really good job. He hasn't always been 100% perfect at Rangers, but he's overall, if you step back and look at the job that he's been doing there, it's, it's you, I mean, you can't argue that he's doing a brilliant job. And he kind of feels to me like a, you know, kind of like a Holland at Dortmund. Right, right. That makes sense. So obviously Rangers are a huge club. Gerard's doing a really good job there. No one expects him to stay there in the long term. Right. And most people will expect him to move to a, I don't know, maybe like a large Premier League club or potentially even another club in Europe. You never know. But he's, he's kind of going through that development phase very much like a young player. Mm. So yeah, I, mean, I think it's a really, really interesting point and probably something that we don't talk about enough in football and could potentially improve the kind of discourse or maybe a little bit of patience around managers. But however, I think the problem with the problem with it is that when you have a singular figure whose task is to improve or bring as much success as possible to a squad of players, I think sometimes clubs just can't afford to allow people to develop in the same way that they can bring in a young player here and there, give them minutes, loan them out, let them develop. But yeah, I think it's a really interesting point and something that I think is worth thinking about a lot more than we probably all do. Yeah, great question. And it shows a way to look at things, to frame things differently. I think, uh, yeah, great frame of analysis. I think it's a really good question. Should we maybe use that to segue because you mentioned Ole Gunnar Solskjaer there. Yep, yep. Maybe let's move on to the Manchester derby because right, right. Uh, this is a very good game of football. Excellent, yep. Manchester City going through to another League Cup final. I love the strength of the teams. Mm. This is obviously a very important game to both of them is Manchester derby. and. Strangely enough, I would call it a reassuring defeat for Manchester United. Oh, is that a new one for the... Uh... 
Yeah. Like it's, a dis- it's a, of course you're you know disappointed to lose to your city rivals at any time. But although there is a gap between these two teams, it is it's an evident gap, but is not huge. This is as good a city side as we've seen this season. They're as happy they're playing in sync. There's a fluidity to the attack. Some of the passing movement was beautiful. But United actually had the initiative early. Um some strange, I mean, I've said this before, maybe I've just been cranky uncle here, but some of the, not the best running to break the offside trap, I've got to say. Um, I was slightly disappointed with some of the, um, from both teams, failed to hold the runs, especially so close to the halfway line. It's not necessary to be offside that close to the halfway line. Uh, but, you know, the irony being that just as we saw Meza Urza with Arsenal, we're seeing Manchester United and Pogba, like just when the teams are tactically right to accommodate their extravagant talents, they're moving on, probably moving on. And you know, Pogba may move on in the summer. And it's funny because this is probably the best, this is the best suited team to Pogba's talents that Manchester United have thus far turned out in terms of his chemistry with his fellow players. You know, Solskjaer here, I would say, I think there's just City on a roll at this point. Yeah, I mean, City are looking good. They're on a moment. roll. Yeah. 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 And this, this De Bruyne as a false nine thing is causing absolute havoc. I think that's a keeper, to be honest. I think that's it's almost like, probably solved. Yeah. It's, it's almost like wreak havoc. Beep, beep, it's mad traffic. Oh, wow, we're doing this. Ah, oh, I, don't ah. know what, I don't know what you're talking about. I was just, it's just, just flowing over the beat. Wow. The My goodness, the buttery flow. You need to cut the ego. The De Bruyne change feels, it could be as significant as the Smith Rowe change, but I'm wondering if there's another step that it feels like. Do you remember when um, Conte went to a back three? Mm. After I wonder, Arsenal defeat. I wonder if De Bruyne going to a false nine could be the same catalyst in terms of a tactical change. I'm really fascinated, actually. If anyone's got, if any listeners have got any ideas, I love those mid-season tactical changes that go on mm-hmm. and like change. Because we've seen them all. Like Obviously, Conte, just meant an example. De Bruyne, Force 9, Smith Rowe. We've seen this season alone, those two big changes that have galvanised sides. Because say with, with Solskjaer going to a diamond for United, all of a sudden it frees everything up. So I'd love to hear from you, you know, as listeners, like what those changes were for your teams, whatever level they're playing at that, they were like, okay, that, that switched everything up. Let's do an episode on that. Like yeah, that. because I just, feel like, I just feel like the De Bruyne thing is, it's so, it's, you know, it's so weird about it. It's one of the things you're like, oh, but of course. Yeah. You look at it and you go, of course that's what should happen. But there's always the fear that like, is he too high up the, too, too high up the field? But then he's De Bruyne, so of course he makes it work. It's like having a labelless jar on your spice rack and just ignoring it for years. And you're like, what is that? And then you yes. kind of open it up and you're like, oh my, my God. It's and been like, there it, the whole time. Yeah. It had no <laughs> label because it was the Don ingredient. It was probably left for you by the previous occupant going like, when the time is ready. You'll know. Would, do you know what? If there was a spice called, if there was a spice called the false nine. If, oh if, if, man. That sounds like, do you know what? That sounds like an absolutely amazing, like jerk rub. Do you know what? Right. If a footballer brings out. Spice mix. Oh my goodness. Oh my God. We should totally do this as Stadio merch. We'll make our own spice mix and call it the false nine. Oh my goodness. Unbelievable. And then we'll do a number eight. We'll do, we'll do, we'll do a hot sauce called cathartic defeat. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my goodness. Cause that sounds like a hot sauce. It does. It does. It really does have a catfish. <laughs> oh my god! Oh my god! We need to expand into um, spices. Yeah, definitely. We could do it. Your take, I mean, just you know, Moose's takes will be the hottest one of the lot. Oh my god! Imagine my t- <laughs> the hottest sauce is the Rilo Ren. <laughs> so Manchester City through to the final, they will play Tottenham Hotspur. Yep, yep. We beat Brentford, kind of expectedly. Mm. Um, this is going to be mega fun. I think I like this a lot. Mm. Because Mourinho versus Guardiola, oh, people say it's not a big deal now. It's a big deal. It's always a big deal. It's always a big deal. They're not honest about yeah. it, but it's a big deal. Yeah, 100%. And I think for Mourinho, you never see Mourinho get more Mourinho-y than when there's actually stakes. Yes. There's stakes here. It is so Mourinho to take Spurs to their first trophy in over a decade. See what I'm fascinated by with Mourinho? When he gets into character, when he gets into Bond villain character, Mm. I wonder at what point in the day, you know, and like he you know, says goodbye to his kids and his, and, and his wife and they say, oh, goodbye, goodbye, daddy, goodbye, Jose. And then like they see him on TV later that night and they're like, daddy's turned. Like Banner and Hulk. 
Yeah, daddy's turned. Like, well, what, but what point did daddy turn? Because it's like, when they see him on like Sky Sports, like he was not like that half an hour ago, like your dad, your father. And the first time the father, the first time Jose switched, like, mommy, why is, why does daddy like that? Oh, daddy's gone to work. Because he definitely becomes a different, you know, when you see him like in the studio doing punditry. Yeah, he's great. And he's, and he's relaxed or he's looking for a new job. So maybe he's like being very well behaved, <laughs> but he's great. And then like, there's just a thing that comes over. You know, he really loves it. You know, one victory that Mourinho doesn't get enough credit for because the league season was poor that year is the 2017 Europa League victory of a very good Ajax side. Mm. A very exciting Ajax side. Some of which players arguably haven't really kicked on since then in the Ajax team, which is weird enough. But um, he went in this beautiful Ajax team. He went and he just took them and just absolutely stifled them. It was the most Mourinho thing ever. It was the, like the fire blanket. It was like a 90 minute fire blanket he put on that team. and. That sounds horrible. But it was, it was horrible. You watched the game, it's what it's he did. the, the way worst he, movie of all time. He went long to Mkhitaryan and Pogba. He launched it and it was the most visceral, brutal. Zlatan mm. played in that final as well, right? It was like a diehard move where the bad guys won. It's very interesting, isn't it, at this point of their careers because they're almost like, they're in uncharted territory, aren't they? Because oh, yeah, both of them, yeah. Guardiola, longest he's been at a club. And then Mourinho, quite frankly, I'm part of that crowd. I really was like, I did not think, and I'll be honest with you, Ryan, I'm not going to, I don't mind being criticised for this. This was my view. I, I wasn't sure that he had another Premier League title in him. And at the time of talking, he very much is in the mix. And I'm going to be honest, I didn't think he had this, another title in him, in the Premier League. And he could well do it if he does do it. I have to say credit to him because he's doing a great job at Spurs so far. Yeah, I mean, they've started, they've showed a bit of, they have showed the, like a kind of weak, not weakness, but the, the downsides to when things don't go exactly how they need them to go in the last few weeks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think overall, if you were going to, if you, if you said to someone when he took over at Spurs, especially with the, like we've said before about the kind of how emotionally jarring the potch firing was for a lot of fans, Spurs yes. fans, I think that if you told them where they would be right now, mm. I don't think, I don't think the, I don't think that appointment would have been so complicated for people to process as it was. Yes, yes. I'm really looking forward to this final though. I think it's going to be amazing. Absolutely. Yeah, not sure how Spurs will set up. Actually, weird enough, this might suit both their styles because no reason for Spurs to change the formula of sitting deep. And I almost feel like with Guardiola's fluidity, with this false nine, I think it changes everything. And here's a weird thought. Is this the most natural expression, given that he hasn't got an orthodox nine, is this the most, ortho is this the most natural expression of, of Guardiola's philosophy since he coached Barca? Yeah, maybe. Because he had, the ortho he had the orthodox nine at Bayern the whole way through. I mean, you would do if you had a Lewandowski, though, wouldn't you? Oh, no, of course, of course. But with, I just wonder if we see a fluidity. I'm not saying it's the best City team because I think we've seen it already from Pep or so far. We've seen one iteration already from him. But I wonder if there's the most natural expression of what he likes doing as a team. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I wonder. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, man, let's go to Europe. Yep, yep. First of all, I want to shout out Barcelona. Barcelona Femini played at the Camp Nou for the first time in 50 years on Wednesday in the Catalan derby against Espanyol. Uh, they beat Espanyol 5-0 and are sitting extremely comfortably at the top of the Primera. Their record this season is absolutely unbelievable. They're two points clear of Real Madrid, obviously, who have now been rebranded from Tacon. Mm. Um, they've got three games in hand. They've played 11, they've won 11, they've scored 62 and they've conceded two. They have a, a goal difference of plus 60. 
after 11 games. Oh my goodness. Atleti, meanwhile, just to give this some comparison, played three games more, 28 points, five points behind already. But yeah, pretty momentous occasion. It was just such a shame that, were, that fans weren't allowed in the stadium because yeah, I think yeah. that would have been that would have been great. Like when Atleti played at um, the Wonder at that time and it broke the, the record. Rammed, yeah, the, absolutely. The crowd. Yep, yep. And it was a complete sellout. It was amazing. I think that's that's one thing that's been a real, real, well, I mean, it's one of many, many things about the pandemic that's been a real downer. But I think for the women's game, especially just that momentum being halted, yeah. such a shame. Because yep, I think yep. that I think that if the pandemic hadn't have happened, I think you would have seen a hell of a lot more games being played in bigger stadiums with big crowds. And I think that development or that kind of continuation of the momentum that, that had happened from just before the World Cup going into when the pandemic hit, I think would have been amazing to see how, how that would have progressed. It's sad because actually we've had two of the best tournaments. WSL, it's been outstanding this year. I mean, the NWSL Challenge Cup, these are two of the best tournaments around and they, they haven't had the... The crowds, I mean, just imagine those in front of crowds. My goodness. Yeah, the Champions yeah. League as well last season would have been great, I think. I mean, obviously in the UK, we were going to, we were planning on talking about a lot of WSL stuff on Monday, but there are a number of games being called off because of positive COVID cases caused by players taking trips to Dubai in the winter break, which I reposted the thread by Susie Rack, uh, who covers women's football for The Guardian, is a brilliant writer, that I think does a hell of a lot of a better job explaining, the concept, explaining yeah. and, cr- and, and critiquing it that I would but um, yeah so a number of players have been very very silly there and it's caused a real spanner in the works in women's football um, especially for, with it returning this weekend There's, there are also some really horrible developments in terms of plans for the Women's FA Cup because of the extended uh, lockdown now in the UK and the suspension of quote unquote non-elite sport Mm. Um, as ever women's sport has been hit harder by that yeah. but yeah so we'll see what games are back um, and we'll try and cover those on Monday where do you want to go now do you want to go do you, should we talk stay in Spain uh, maybe yeah Very athletic quick, 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 quick shout quick shout for Con, Conea I think who defeated oh the Atleti in the Copa del Rey yeah that was a really nice playing on a kind of astroturf mm. but Atleti put out a really strong team, right? They had um, Torreira mm-hmm. and uh, Condogbia in midfield. Uh, Condogbia, who I always forget, has gone there, by the way. Like every time, every single time I see him play for Atleti, I'm like, oh yeah, I forget that Jeffrey Condogbia is there. But yeah, Atleti went down 1-0 and it was really more reflection on the way that their opposition played than Atleti played, actually. Mm. Funnily enough, I mean, they got very tight. There's one moment where they get really tight on Gerard Felix. But actually, credit to Simeone because they lost 1-0. Mm. But the beauty of it is, and I love it when teams show respect to the opposition mm. by fielding great sides because they did it in the previous round as well so yeah shout out to them Atleti even though they lost they lost with dignity and they respected the cup and I always respect that I like it when uh, big teams go out in style go out properly uh, let's stay in Spain and go to La Liga Athletic yeah, let's do it, let's do it. lost 3-2 at home to Barcelona in Marcelino's first game in charge for Athletic after Garitano got fired last week um, I really like that Marcelino's back I've got a feeling he's going to do a really good job at Athletic. But these games, man, the Athletic Barter are always, I always find them really fun. For some reason, they match up well. There's always, do you know what it is? There's always subplots in these games. So it's the intensity of Athletic. The greatest compliment they play to big players is they go after them. So like Neymar, they always went after them. But Neymar loved playing. I think he got like loads of goals against him. He, he loved it. So you've always got that kind of competitive tension that leads to great results or at least great, great contests. It's going to be interesting on the weekend because they go to the Wonder. Ooh, like that. Yeah. Uh, the most interesting dynamic in this game was that Inyaki Williams is now rocking a tuck. That was scary. And do you know what? Can I be honest with Longley? Uh, I've been critical of Longley before. You've got to know when Inyaki Williams is coming at you, he's going to cut in on the right foot. And Longley was like, oh, here you go. It was like uh, the defence was open borders. Oh, yeah. Inyaki Williams coming at you like that. You've got to show him outside. And, it, you know, maybe it's easy to it, done. But is it me or is does that Inyaki Williams like absolutely jacked? I mean, to be honest, it was moving too fast for me to actually notice. <laughs> you know, I'll need to, you know, my eyes aren't what they were. Oh, man, I love Enyaki Williams so much. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he took the lead early on for Athletic and then Pedri. Oh, this goal from Pedri was so good, man. We need to talk about Pedri, but the goal first was like this massive cross, but like really high cross from Leo Messi. Yeah. Frankie De Jong heads it back from the byline. Oh no, he volleys it back from the byline, doesn't he? Sorry. Yes, yes, yes. And then uh, Pedri heads it in. 
and it was such an aesthetically pleasing goal. Do you know, it's just one I haven't seen one like that. I haven't seen. No, it, was no. like, it was very much. It was very like. It was like playing FIFA or I like thought. beach volleyball or something. When you like, you have the guy setting it up. Yeah, and it was so clever the geometry to see Frankie De Jong's run, and I love that run from De Jong because obviously, like he's a, you know, he's a CDM. But one thing he's added to his game, or not added to his game, but shown more of because he's always had it at Barca is he's been used to break forward. Mm. And it was just such a clever pass from him. It was such a clever cutback. It was so good, man. And, and, and Pedri, like, what a game from Pedri. Like, Pedri, we need to talk about Pedri. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Because his little back heel for Messi was just so... Do you know what it reminded me of? I mean, I, I'm, I know what you're going to say and I don't want to say it because I don't want... I've got enough heat on me as it is. So, <laughs> you can have this hot take. Very Iniesta-like. It was. And I think the way that he gets Messi is very Iniesta-like, actually. Yes. Yes. He's probably never going to be as good as Iniesta because few people will. Yeah. But I think in terms of how much he understands Messi and gets Messi, there aren't many people on that Barcelona side who... There haven't been any... I don't think there have been many people since, or anyone maybe since, who has kind of had that level of Iniesta like getting Messi. And you can tell Messi loves him. It's a real shame Ansu Fati's not fit because Mm. I think Ansu Fati... Pedri and Frankie de Jong around Messi makes Messi happy. Can I give Pedri a big credit, a big compliment here? The thing he has most in common with Iniesta is if I saw him get off a team bus, I couldn't tell you exactly what position he played. I looked at him and I was like, well, I know that you're essential to this team. Like Iniesta was the same. I look at Iniesta and be like, watch them warming up. I was like, I can't tell where you're going to play. You're going to play as a defensive mid, as a wide forward, as an eight, because he's just someone who is almost, um, not a positionless player, but he can receive, Pedri is comfortable receiving possession anywhere on the field and looking comfortable. Mm. Pedri could take the ball off the back four if he had to. Like if it was late in the game and someone was like, okay, can you help them play out from the back, Pedri? He'd drop back from wing and be like, yeah, I'll, I'll double up on the flank and let them do it. Like he, he's an all-purpose player. And there was that thing that Messi said that in close games, he likes Iniesta as close to him as possible. Mm-hmm. And it's such a fitting tribute. That yeah. Goal, yeah, that goal, the back heel, the commentator was like, look, you know, he took out three men with that back heel. He gives Messi a tap in from the top of the box. If you look at the move just before Messi's making the run and Pedri's about to receive possession, if someone said to you, oh, by the way, two seconds later, Pedri will give Messi a tap in, you'll be like, I don't see it. I'm sorry, mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't believe you, I don't see it. And then you see it play and you're like, oh my goodness, how did he see that? And that's the thing about Pedri, he sees, he sees things. Mm-hmm. Like the geometry of the goal, but Messi's looping cross and the cutback from De Jong, look at the space that Pedri's in for that, that finish. Look how he's attacking the six-yard box, right? But then for Messi's goal, he's taking up a different position. He's not making the run on. He's not the final guy. He's like, I'm the pivot. That's a whole level of intelligence and decision-making. I mean, it's Ansu Fati level decision-making, actually. Mm. which is why it's so exciting for them to come back because that crop of young players, you know, you look at like Barca now, I know there's concern over Koeman, but Ryan, a year from now, Ricky Pooch, Carlos Alenia back from Getafe. Um, <laughs> Carlos Alenia back from Getafe, like some kind of nomad. He's going to yeah, come back fully nomad. nomad. Yeah. It's like, do you know what he's going he's, he's gonna to be like? You know, like Rumours era, Lindsay Buckingham. From Fleetwood Mac. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. He's going to come back. Vibes. He's going to come back with the big, big curly hair, a big beard, and everyone's. He's going to walk into the training centre, and everyone's going to be like, "Is that? Oh my god, that's that's Carlos Alenia." It's a weird thing because Getafe, they're not necessarily the team you might associate with his best talents, but I think it's almost like that thing where, you know, when a player goes, it's actually like Joao Felix going to Atleti, where you're like, "Oh my goodness, he won't. They won't play to his style," but then. Players like Elenia thrive in small spaces. They thrive on the efficiency and the playmaking. And I almost think that a lone move like that, it wouldn't work for every player, but I think he's robust enough a talent to be fine, actually. Mm. It's a weird move sending him out on loan. I agree, I agree. But I think when he comes back, he's going to be a really good piece to add into that. And, and do you know what I thought of from, the, from the athletic game? I think that Barca just looked, this looked like an old Barca side yes. in terms of the fun that they were having. They were having fun. now. You know, Messi hit the post twice, hit the post twice and then hit the bar for the goal, right? Yes. It's nice to see Messi happy again, isn't it? Yeah, he looked like he was having loads of fun. So much fun that he uh, decided to play an absolutely drunk 
crossfield ball for the Munayin goal at the end. Man. I know we're talking about Doom a lot, but it was like, it was like Doom on Figaro. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Messi sings soprano like no. all over the beat. Yeah, no, that was it. Just like him just playing the ball across it. He's like, oh shit. I think he was so comfortable by then and Barca were so comfortable. I haven't seen Barca comfortable for a while. Yeah, they look like they're having loads of fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's bad news think, for that league, actually. Yeah, it is. It's encouraging for them, though. Mm. Um, and Dembele looked good. Yeah. He looks, like, uh, he looks like he's finally kind of over the injuries. Let's not tempt fate, shall we? I know. I know. I, know, yeah, I, know, I, know, I, know I hope he can stay fit. But, you know. I know, you um, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. But, yeah, man. Let's quickly go to Serie A. Yes, yes. A couple of beautiful goals from Federico Chiesa. Yes. For Juve. As they inflicted Milan's first defeat of the season on them at San Siro. This was another good game. It was. Just to say, the caveat being that Milan were missing uh, Ante Rebic through COVID and Krunic as well. Two important players for them. You saw that difference. You saw there were a couple of moments in the, in the first half where the ball came into dangerous areas and they didn't have a natural finisher or a nine to really be as lethal there as they would like. Um, and you saw and like in one of those occasions, uh, a few seconds later, Juve broke and got the opener through Chiesa. Hauga looks very good. The Norwegian playmaker, incredible decision maker. Um, as James Horncastle has pointed out, check out James's work on the Athletic on what Milan have been doing. He's been really impressive on that. Um, but just some really nice pieces, Milan. And weirdly enough, this is a great win for Juve. It's perhaps Pillar's most impressive. I mean, weirdly, I say weirdly because although it's perhaps Juve's most impressive win so far, it's probably Milan's most convenient point in the season to have a defeat. Because mm. Inter lost to Samp 2-1. Yeah. So Milan is still a couple of points clear at the top. And there's a lot of the season to go. Juve is still, you know, what, seven points back with a game in hand. So there's a lot to go in this season, but Milan shouldn't be too discouraged because they played some great stuff as well. Yeah, they did. And Liao, there's a few players this year who've really stepped up and Liao for Milan has been a delight. So he's like 21 and he's like balling out. Sensational this year. All right, man, let's do some questions before we get out of here. Yep, yep. Oh, before we do questions, can we talk about something quickly? Yeah. So there's a terminology you've come up with, a stadio terminology, I think needs to come into discourse. Which oh. is the concept, yeah, the concept of the sheepdog. <laughs> I, this is amazing. It's amazing. So we were talking, actually, we were talking about, um, was it, uh, was it Pedri about? or Iniesta? It was about, it was about, we were talking about Pedri, but we were talking like just previously about um, how there are some players who their value is they draw other players to them and create space and some players want the ball like you know we always say in England we say oh man on because you know you want to play oh, away yeah Do you know what? I think it was for yeah. the, the was it the second Chiesa goal the one, was it the second one or the first one where Dybala hit that amazing assist and Ronaldo drew so many players away in a way yeah. that he kind of like like a sheet or draws players to yeah, him yeah Ronaldo's just walking yeah at the top of the screen but people are so like defenders are so focused on Ronaldo being the problem mm. that I think it kind of I don't think it made more space but it kind of people were less worried about Chiesa than they were about Ronaldo. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, this concept of the kind of like the sheepdog. Yeah. Where you're kind of away from the flock. When you see that dynamic you're saying in the final third where there are players who are so dangerous to the unfolding attack yeah. that defenders cover them and it creates from brothers. You see it in basketball the whole time, like when everyone just like crashes, like LeBron or Anton Davis don't leave space for the outside shooters. Yeah. And you have that dynamic in um, a lot of counters where you know, we were saying it'd be interesting to have a stat for, you know, the course of a player's career, how many players on average per possession do they draw to them in the final third mm. to create room for others? Because I think that stat's so interesting when a player is so dangerous. Um, you know, I, I mentioned this, but I mean, Alex Pop, when I was interviewing her for ESPN back in the day, we were talking and she said, yeah, early in my career, you know, before people really knew who I was, I got goals in certain positions, then I became a threat. So now in an attack, I could, I could draw two or three players, which is great. I really like that because it creates room for other players. It's no coincidence that, you know, she scored one every two for Wolfsburg last year, I think one and two, but Penel Harder had an outstanding season. I think that's no direct coincidence because Penel Harder benefited from so much of the space. Great players she is. You, you know, you can't give Penel Harder space, mm. but Pop was creating it. Um, and Ozil's another person that does that. Ozil, the master of- Oh man, yeah. Yeah, the master, and, and Gianfranco Zola, the master of leading hmm. um, defenders into... We'll talk more about Ozil next week when his next destination is announced, probably. We'll do that hmm. then, as opposed yep, to talking yep. about it today. 
Let's do it. Um, but yeah, man. Sheepdog players. I mean, there's a whole, we could do a sheepdog, sheepdog attack. Sheepdog, but it sounds really like, it sounds kind of really, I don't know, like a bit of a diss, but it's really not. No, nah, it's cool. It's really cool. Come on, it's cool. Let's have this question. We've talked a lot of Doom. So this one from Charlie Wilbers. Doom was every rapper's favourite rapper. Who do you think footballers look up to or are inspired by in the same way? But we had a follow-up from Ryan, Ryan Gower, I think it's pronounced. I hope I've pronounced that right. I love this question. And I feel like in the women's game, your favourite footballer's favourite footballer is Kim Little, which is such a massive shout, I think. Yep, yep, yep. Because Kim Little's someone who, you know, a lot of players join Arsenal. Um, I think we've, been, we've said before, a lot of players join Arsenal. It's easy to forget the quality that's already in the ranks. Mm. Uh, and you know, actually, I, I think that it's a similar dynamic to Frank Lampard at Chelsea, funny enough. You know, all those midfielders joined Chelsea and it was easy to forget that Lampard was there and excelling. And Kim Little is someone who has just been consistent, like almost a victim of their own quality, but still pops up with the decisive goals. And I was also put um, Saki Kumagai into that bracket as well, to be yeah. honest. Someone who bossed it for Leon and Japan, but not only defence, but then you know, dominating the middle third, and even to an extent the final third in that Champions League final, like really forcing the pace. I was really surprised to see some of the positions she took up, actually given. She was so good. Yeah, she was extraordinary, but also tactically very versatile. So I think, that, I think Saki Kumagai is another one. I think the most doomed player of all time yep, yep. is probably George Weyer. Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm listening. Well, of course you are, because I mentioned those two <laughs> sacred words. <laughs> I mean, my first reaction was, hold me. <laughs> he wasn't the most successful footballer of all time. No. Doom wasn't the most successful rapper of all time. No. In terms of like, you know, pure commercial, yeah, yeah. Yeah, commercial success, I think. You yeah, know? Yeah. And I think that I think maybe the difference, with the, this is where it's a hard crossover with football because it's hard to be the absolute best without being mm. known for being the best. But I think for what, how people relate to Doom as MCs, I think footballers relate to George Weir in the same way. Yes. Because he was kind of like a very Doom-like footballer I think in terms of he was unbelievable yeah never beefed with anyone he didn't need to right and he's kind of just like universally loved really I mean there are some people there are some hip hop heads who don't like Doom and I get I think I mean, I, mean, I don't really, get why personally, yeah, but still. Yeah, I mean, either, yeah. But I mean, there will be some players who will say like George Ware is a fraud. Uh, some people will say like George Ware was a fraud or something like that. Do you know yeah. what I mean? They'll have seen him at Chelsea and been like, oh, what's the fuss about? Yeah, like, oh, yeah. yeah. Um, but I think that just in terms of like the space that he operates in folklore as well, I think George Ware is probably my, I, he would be my shout for the most doom-like footballer, maybe. I want to say the reason why I love the Ware shout, not because I love Ware, is because I feel like if you had a group of elite strikers sitting there like, you know, oh, we've, we've invited it. We've had, we've got a dinner for like elite strikers and they all get their invites. And it's like, you know, the younger generation of like Mbappe and, you know, you could put Rashford in there as like young talents and they go, we're going to have dinner with like, there's going to be a guest of honour. And I reckon if George Ware walked in the room, all of them would be like, wow. Yeah. Like, it'd, be yeah, like, it'd be like Earl Sweatshirt and Tyler the Creator when they met Doom that time. Exactly. They'd be like, like fanboying. Yeah, and he'd be, and he'd drop the same thing that like Doom said to them. He'd be like, "Yeah, I'm really, I'm really into what you do," and they're like, "Oh my god!" And I've said this before about Weir. I think maybe in this podcast a thousand times, but what Weir represented to, you know, what what Drogba and Etu did is extraordinary, right? Mm. And Weir doing it a generation earlier in the mid '90s as a as a dark skinned black man in the middle of Europe, and a lot of people don't know what that means, but trust me, it means a lot. Mm. I owe so much to him, like because I think he showed just the way to like conduct yourself with dignity in an environment which was unfamiliar, very unfamiliar. And he just went there and just absolutely bossed it. And he was beloved. He was absolutely beloved. Yeah. I like that question, man. Yeah. Great. All right, man. Let's move on to another question. This one from our good friend, Mash St. Paddy. Yep. Yep. He says, is football only carrying on to maintain people's morale or will European and international football have to read the room eventually? Brackets pandemic. I'm... Do you mind if I start? Sorry. I'm just, go for it, go for it. Go for it, go for it go into the answer there. Go for it, go for it. Um, I'm kind of torn about this. I think that, so I think domestic football happening, I think is really good for everyone's mental health at the moment. As a population, obviously we're putting a lot of strain on footballers with what they have to go through. I still feel uneasy about international travel going ahead. Yeah. And I definitely feel uneasy about the internationals that took place with the Nations League, even though they brought some really great moments, obviously, but I think that yeah. as a concept, like the friendlies and the, the internationals, I just think was, I couldn't really get my head around that from a, obviously from a pandemic point of view, but also from a scheduling point of view, like these players need rest. 
Yeah, yeah. And they're getting none. Um, so, I mean, I kind of, I don't want to, especially in these current times, I don't want to bat both sides this. But I genuinely do see the arguments for and against. Um, it's not like you sit on the fence. Thanks, mate. Um, no, no, you're, no, but in all seriousness, you're right. There's an economic, the thing is, I mean, just to buttress you on that point, I get the need for the, I mean, because those friend, even some of those friendlies, I mean, who knows what the kind of contractual arrangements are for some of those games where it's like, yeah. look, we've got a friendly here. We don't play this, we'll go under. Play the game at half speed, but just please play it because mm. we need that. Because, you know, for some of those places to have a friendly from certain teams, it's a big pull in terms of the TV stuff. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I really think they're out there playing primarily for the economics. And I know it's easy to be cynical about capitalist motives, but I think, you know, we're never going to fully know how close some of these leagues, not just clubs, were to going to the wall. Yeah. And we'll look back, and I think it might come out years from now, they'll be like, we were as a close run thing. You know, football's got a lot of, you know, it gets a lot of stick for a lot of good reason. But there's a lot of good people working in football. Um, a lot of people trying to support communities through football. And I, I do feel, you know, I will say on the whole, I do feel like people are trying to make the best of a bad situation. I think there are more people in football trying to do the right thing and keep the game going than not. I do believe that. And I do think it has been beneficial to mental health to have people yeah, playing. I, yeah. I think it's why we have to be a bit less harsh on players um, at this time. You know, mm. the risks they're taking with their families, we're seeing the damage that long COVID is doing. So, you know, you get COVID, it's, that's that concern. I, I'm sympathetic to really, like yourself, all sides of this conversation, Ryan. Mm. Shall we wrap on a couple of fun ones? Yeah, yeah. Matt Jones. What's your favourite type of biscuit? Oh, I got one. Oh, oh I got one. Well, of course, you, secure, of course no, you've I, got one. I managed to secure it. No, I managed to secure it today. Oh, did you? I got it. I got it. I got it. Ah. Yes. Yes. Shout out to Mina Banachuk, the awesome human and wonderful writer, poet, extraordinaire. Mina Banachuk. Of course she is, but it's the truth. So she better like, and she can live with it. It's the truth. You know, it's facts. Um, we went uh, for a bit of a wonder and I picked up one of those Fleur de Sel cookies. From Shakespeare's Sons. Yeah, the big chunky chocolate chip and good, the, the sea salt. I felt slightly guilty because I was in the queue and she goes, you've got a bit of sweet tooth, haven't you? And I was like, uh, yeah, enough talk about that. Uh, well, yeah, me? What, me? 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 No, I, no, no, I, oh, no. I oh, no, no. I was bang to rights. Yeah, that's my favourite. What's your favourite? Do you have a favourite biscuit? Uh, I'm a big fan of the chocolate hobnob because it's kind of indestructible. You can like multiple dunk that in a cup of tea and it will just never fall apart. It takes about three or four, doesn't it? Until yeah. it starts losing structure. Yeah. And, and by then you've already eaten it. So they are colossal. Although I always overeat chocolate hobnobs. Sign of a good biscuit though, isn't it? Yeah. Sorry, I, 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 don't, like to, I don't like to biscuit shame anyone, but Megan Clement, who I believe is an occasionalist, this podcast and a fantastic writer. Megan only has one biscuit. Megan literally will have one biscuit. But one type of biscuit? Well, no, she has one biscuit. Like if she's like, you know, having a tea or something, or she'll have one biscuit, Ryan, a day. I, I, I think that's... You're not I judging should, it. No, I think that's, I think that's impressive, actually. I'm, I, don't, I, don't, I don't understand the restraint. The first thing I'm going to do when we finish recording is make a cup of tea and have some biscuits. I think I might as well. And uh, Megan, I will be having more than one. So, <laughs> sorry, I am, a, I am a weaker person than you are. Yeah, yeah, me too. Shall we wrap on this Let's one go. from Kaylee, who says, what's something, football or otherwise, that has brought you joy this week? You're not going to believe this when I say that it's seeing you, Ryan, oh, and doing the podcast. No, you're not. Yeah. You well, of course, that. I'm not going to believe it because it's a yeah. it's pandering. It's, it's pandering. Right? <laughs> it's marketing, strategic marketing, pure grandstanding. It is exactly. Especially ah. in the current climate, you're just trying to push this narrative out there. Here ah, you ah. are. You're sheep dogging. Oh my god, that sounds terrible. <laughs> leave it in. <laughs> you can't say leave it in after I just said sheep dogging. What is wrong with you? <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> um, you know, I think no, I, I think I think this week uh, for me, what's taken joy in is um, it's the small things. So I just went for a wonder, uh, my friend Mina, and just got some like bubble tea, um, Taiwanese bubble tea, which is delicious. Ooh, la la. Yeah, do you know it's it's because this year is going to be really busy and I think even maybe difficult personally and professionally with everything going on. So I think it's just taking the time to enjoy the half spaces in life, you know, the, the, the pockets of time where you feel like I should be doing something. And it's just like, it's just trying not to be relentlessly 
productive with a capital P this year. And I've started this year okay in that respect. So I hope I continue. Uh, what brought me joy this week was seeing everyone saying lovely things about your book that's coming out. Oh, well, you're very kind. So that brought me joy seeing people hype that. That was nice. Oh, thanks, man. That's all right, man. Just, you know, not much else going on. So it's got to be something. <laughs> um, shall we bounce? Yeah, let's do it. Uh, don't forget, you can follow us on Twitter at Stadio, on Instagram at Stadio Football. Uh, don't forget to check the ringer.com forward slash soccer for all your footballing needs at the ringer. Yeah, if you do listen to the podcast on an app that lets you write and review, please give us a rating and review. Yep, yep. Ha, ah, you didn't see that coming, did you, everyone? <laughs> Keep him guessing. We hope everyone is staying safe and well and as well as well as can be with everything that's going on. Anything else you want to add, Musa Kwanga? No, I'm good. I'm good, actually. Good this yeah. week. Yep, yep. Uh, we're playing out on People by Ellipsis. And yeah, take care, everyone. Have a lovely weekend and we will be back on Monday. See you then. Trying to be free. Yeah,